Well, good morning, Oceanside Sanctuary. It's good to be with you again here on this Sunday morning on YouTube and Facebook. Our online service continues. So for those of you who are still staying at home to be extra cautious, especially with this recent spike in the Delta variant of COVID, and also for those of you who are at a distance, we're really excited to continue to be able to gather this way online and gather around our worship, our communion, our prayers, and of course, our encouragement to each other. I'm excited today because we are beginning a new teaching series on the Sermon on the Mount. This is, of course, Jesus's central teaching throughout his ministry. Scholars agree that the Sermon on the Mount, which we see most identifiably in, in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7, Scholars really agree that this is the core of Jesus's message. For those of us who take Jesus seriously, for those of us who say that being Christian means following Jesus's teachings, that means that we really begin as Christians with the task of understanding this, his core teaching throughout his ministry. And so we're going to spend the next several weeks, reading through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 together on Sunday morning. And we are going to wrestle with what these passages mean, and we're going to work together to try to understand them, and we're going to try to, of course, live them out in our lives. Today, I want to ask that you would pray with me as we begin this new teaching series and jump into Matthew chapter 5. Would you just join me in a moment of prayer, please? God, we thank you again for today, for this opportunity for us to gather as a people here on YouTube and Facebook. We ask that you would open our eyes and open our hearts, open our ears so that we would become receptive as followers of Jesus to what you might have to teach us by these words. We ask that you would form us into people who look increasingly more and more like Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you turn with me, we're going to begin at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount today. It's again, Matthew chapter 5. We are not going to start at verse 1. I want to skip ahead a little bit to verses 13 and 14. And then we're going to back up a little bit and try to put verses 13 and 14 into context so that as we begin this series, we hopefully have a, a good place to start with understanding where Jesus is going. So let's start there. In verse 13, it says this, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. In verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid, and no one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that may, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, I wanted to begin here in verses 13 and 14. Because the passages that come before it, the Beatitudes, can often be very confusing for people. And I think by the time we get here to verses 13 and 14, it really begins to crystallize. So I think most of us know right out of the gate that what Jesus seems to be clearly saying here is that 
We are to be, that is, people who are followers of Christ. You know, Jesus is giving this sermon while standing up on a hill. He's preaching this to the crowds who are following him. So they're literally his followers wandering around the Israeli countryside near Jerusalem, in and around Galilee and and Nazareth, all over that area of the ancient Near East. Jesus literally has followers He turns to them and he says this, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. If the light is no good, if it's hidden, if it's covered up, then it doesn't provide light. If the salt loses its saltiness, then it is useless. It seems clear that Jesus is saying to his followers that they are to be of good use in the world. I have to admit that as I was reading this passage this week, that this image of salt losing its saltiness or salt being a kind of flavoring or preservative in the world, it made me think of the fact that I recently got a new smoker in my backyard. And for those of you who know me know that I love food. And one of my favorite indulgences in food is, of course, barbecue especially Southern barbecue. I have a soft spot for that. And so I have this uh, smoker in my backyard. I've enjoyed getting to learn how to use it and smoking different things, smoking salmon, smoking ribs, smoking pork and brisket, all kinds of things. One of the things this made me think of, of course, is all of these foods that we smoke, foods that we barbecue, they tend to be cooked really slow over a long period of time. And we use different seasonings, salt and pepper and other seasonings to work in to those meats. And the reason that we do that, the reason we use rubs and sauces and cook them for a very long period of time is because barbecue, of course, has its roots in poverty. Southern barbecue in particular has its roots in the cooking practices of black slaves in the South who were stolen from Africa and brought to America and were given the worst cuts of meat, the toughest cuts of meat, the cast-offs, the leftovers. And what those black Africans did with that food was they learned how to cook it and take something that was cursed and turn it into something amazing. They brought techniques for barbecue with them from across the Atlantic Ocean. Barbecue has its roots in the continent of Africa. And this is something that we know from the culinary world that very often the best foods have the humblest origins. This is true no matter where you go in the United States. Janelle and I love to go to Mexico and visit Tijuana and eat tacos on the street and travel to various parts of Mexico and eat local foods. And one of the things that you discover in Mexico is the very same lesson, the foods that we cherish, the foods that are delicious, the foods that literally give spice to that culture are foods that have their humblest origins in the indigenous people groups of Mexico, foods that nobody else wanted, that the wealthy European Spaniards refused to eat, while the local indigenous tribes took what what wasn't wanted and turned it into something amazing and delicious. 
I share that, of course, because I think there's a similar thing happening here when Jesus says that we are to be salt and that we are to be light. Too often, we take these passages and sort of take them at face value and assume that Jesus means something almost literal, like we're to be the salt of the earth, and so therefore that means we're to be what? A kind of flavoring or maybe a preservative of some kind. Or if we're to be light, then we're to be illuminating in the world. And I I think, of course, all of that is true. But I think Jesus is getting at something else, something deeper that we can't know unless we read this passage in its bigger context. And this is where I want to invite you to back up with me to the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, and read the Beatitudes. I think with this in mind, the idea of salt and light, we can begin to make sense of these poetic passages that are often so confusing. The Beatitudes, when Jesus begins his sermon, he starts off saying this, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain and after he sat down, the disciples came to him. And then he began to speak and taught them saying, verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to pause there and point out a couple things about the Beatitudes. The first is, of course, that we tend to read the Beatitudes, I think, entirely wrong. Jesus says something that seems very confusing here. He says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And of course, What we all know is that people who are poor or poor in spirit don't really seem to be blessed. And he goes on to say similar things. Blessed are those who mourn. But you and I both know that people who are grieving and mourning the loss of those that they love are not blessed. And he goes on to say, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart. If there is any group of people on earth who are cursed, it's these, those who are meek and cannot take what others commandeer for themselves, or those who hunger for righteousness are very often unsatisfied for their whole lives because this is not a world of righteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart who could be more cursed in this world And those who are pure in heart and have to suffer the indignities and the injustices every day committed by those whose hearts are anything but pure. This is, of course, not a list of those who are blessed. It is clearly a list of those who are cursed. A list of the people who exist in the world and experience the most suffering, experience the most pain, the most hardship, the most dissatisfaction. And yet Jesus declares that now they are blessed. 
More often than not, what preachers and theologians tend to do with this list is we say, well, the only way to make sense of this list is that if I want to be blessed, if I want to inherit the kingdom of God, then I must become poor in spirit or I must become weak or I must become pure of heart. And we turn these cursed conditions into virtues. And by turning these things into virtues, we try to sort of climb a ladder of spirituality. But I don't think that's what this means at all. I think the key to understanding that is this idea of the kingdom of heaven that we have been talking about for weeks. We've been visiting the parables and talking about how Jesus uses these parables of agriculture, uses these parables with incredible imagery to overturn our idea of what God's power is like. What Jesus is saying is that these people who so clearly are cursed, when they come into contact with the kingdom of God, that is the power of God, they become blessed. And that makes all the sense in the world, of course, because Jesus is literally bringing the kingdom of God now, in this moment. It also makes sense because Jesus' gospel, which he so clearly articulated in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, is to come to those who are cursed. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. No, the Beatitudes is not some sort of spiritual ladder that we must climb in order to receive blessing from God. The Beatitudes are a list of all of those cursed people who now, experiencing the presence of God's kingdom, are suddenly blessed because the power of God has come to relieve them of their suffering. The power of God has come to liberate them from their oppression. The power of God has come to bring righteousness to those who hunger and thirst for it, to bring resources to those who are poor, or comfort to those who are poor in spirit, or happiness and joy to those who grieve. In other words, when the kingdom of God comes, the condition of human suffering and want and need and cursed becomes overturned. God and God's kingdom and God's power brings blessing exactly to those who need it most. And so by the time we get to verses 13 and 14, we can see that what has happened is that Jesus and his disciples have come to those who need the mercy, the grace, the comfort, the empowerment of God more than anyone. That's what it means to be salt and light. It means to bring goodness to those who are desperately in need of goodness. It means that for those of us who follow Jesus, to bring the power of God into people's lives means to bring it to those who are most suffering, most hurting, and to take responsibility for doing that now. But there is, I think, also a double meaning here. Because Jesus, as he gathers these people, and as he looks at them squarely, 
And he says, blessed are those who are poor or poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness sake. He is, of course, describing the crowd. Because when you bring good news to those who are suffering and poor and exploited, then you build a community of people who once suffered and were poor and were exploited. And then that community becomes a community of those who bring blessing again and again. In other words, the very people who were cursed are not only blessed, but they're the very people who become the light of the world. They're the very people who become the salt of the earth. God's blessing comes not from those who are wealthy, not from those who have power, not from those who have status or prestige. God's blessing in our world comes directly from those who were once cursed. And in that sense, what Jesus does when he kicks off this Sermon on the Mount is he makes it very clear that not only are those followers of Jesus supposed to be good for the world, but he makes it clear that those who will be good for the world are those that the world has cast off, those that the world has cursed, those that the world has rejected and despised and reviled. And so just like with food and culture and art and creativity of all kind, it seems that the most power, the most redemptive opportunities come from those who were forgotten, neglected, marginalized, and refused. That is the beauty of the kingdom of God. It not only comes for those who are poor, it comes by those who are poor. And that is what it means to be a Christian. It means to be among those who were counted out. And because the kingdom has come into your life, because the unusual, unexpected, surprising power of God has blessed you, so you now bless others with that same power, that same gospel. For me, this is an exciting way to begin our new series because I think it squarely orients us towards Jesus's distinctively good news, and it is incredibly relevant news for our world. I wanna ask that as we pray today that you would join with me and pray that God would make this true of us, that we would become people who despite our hardships, despite our poverty, despite the ways in which we have been cursed previously, that we would become people who are able to bring blessing to those who continue to suffer and struggle. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? God, we thank you again for today. We pray that as we enter into this new series to unpack what uh, what it is that is being taught in the Sermon on the Mount, we pray that you would really open our hearts and help us to grow into the kind of people who can be salt and light, who are genuinely useful in this world, regardless of where we came from, regardless of how we were cast off or forgotten or marginalized in other places. We ask that you would demonstrate your goodness because of the goodness that you work through us. 
We humbly pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey guys, it's Kaya, and before you head out, I have a couple quick announcements for you today. If you are new to the Oceanside Sanctuary, hey, hello, welcome. We are so excited that you are here joining us online or in person. Um, so if you are new, we would love for you to connect. Um, we would love to get to know you, uh, love to know how you found the Oceanside Sanctuary. Um, go ahead and fill out the contact um, info by scanning the QR code um, and letting us know a little bit about yourself. Um, we have our Roots online class on September 8th and 15th at 6.30 p.m. on Zoom. Um, are you new to the Oceanside Sanctuary? Guys, I'm looking at you if you're new. Lesson right here. Um, we want you to know more about who we are. Uh, the Roots class is our introduction class where you'll learn uh, the history of our church and the faith and tradition, our values, visions, missions, priorities, and practices, and what it means to be a member and get involved at the Oceanside Sanctuary. We'll be meeting um, two, for two more weekly uh, one-hour sessions on Wednesdays via Zoom. Make sure to RSVP um, on our website. Uh, Thursday, September 16th at 6.30 p.m., we have our call and response. Uh, call and response is our monthly scripture study uh, group that approaches Bible study as a group dialogue, uh, much like the call and response tradition found in sacred literature and music of all kinds. Uh, this month, we will be studying the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, make sure to RSVP at OceansideSanctuary.org slash calendar to get the Zoom link. Um, and now we have a little video about No Greater Love. All right. Hey, guys. This is Pastor Jason over at the Oceanside Sanctuary. I'm here with James and Marte Riley. And for those of you who don't know, James and Marte are leaders in our church. They actually co-lead our new anti-racism team together. Welcome, how are you guys today? Good. Doing good, thank you. Good, good. I said welcome, but really, this is your porch. So, <laughs> I don't know why I'm saying welcome to you, um, but we're here today because I wanted to just announce that the anti-racism team, which you guys lead together, has a new group out called No Greater Love, and I really wanna make sure that everybody in our church and in our sort of broader community around our church knows what No Greater Love is. I know this is something you guys have been working on really hard for the last eight months with your team. So maybe just tell us briefly what is No Greater Love and why is it important? No, no Greater Love is a introductory anti-racism group that uh, we're putting together or that is put together for Oceanside Sanctuary like you said, it's it's been a labor of love that started back in January after we talked, and I know there were others that were interested. Marte came up with the the name No Greater Love because of that the scripture that it relates to in John, and I think it also exhibits that the whole idea of laying down your life that anti-racism work is a aspect of laying down your life, and that's where the title came from. So this is an anti-racism group where people will come and essentially learn what, Marte? Like, how, what makes this group different? I think it's different in the sense that it's not an informational download type of classroom situation. Yes, there will be information that we'll bring to each session, but what we will actually be doing is learning how to metabolize the information by sharing 
how did it affect us? Uh, what types of reactions are we having emotionally? Mm. Um, because what we're trying to do is build some self-awareness and the ability to empathize with experiences of people that are not like us, um, people who may be living in a very different United States than mm. what we were raised in. Um, so the emphasis is more on vulnerability and honesty and, and just learning how to communicate and be aware of how we are receiving the stories of other people. Okay. That sounds really helpful because I know that I've noticed that oftentimes when we're having conversations about race or we encounter racism or microaggressions in some way, there is this visceral response and that can be really inflamed and produce more trauma and more hurt, especially for people of color. So it sounds like this will be an opportunity for people to learn what's going on when they have those encounters and how we can move past that and have healthier relationships. Does that sound right? Exactly. Okay. Um, there is usually a fear component, um, mm -hmm. you know, particularly with people from the dominant culture. Um, and I think that's understandable. That's part of the laying down is, is learning how to see the fear, lay it down and still stay engaged. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, so what does this look like? When does it start? How long does it last? How do people get signed up? It will start on September 14th, which is a Tuesday, and it, it will run for six weeks. The time will be 6.30 to 8 o'clock, and it'll be on Zoom. And so you can sign up on the OSC website. I think also it's on Facebook and Instagram and all the other social media aspects. The deadline of sign up for September 12th, and we wanted to have a, a deadline list because we don't want the group to be too big but we also want to get a, a, an idea of those that are interested in it. Okay, so the group itself is six weeks long, starts September 14th. Uh, these are Zoom meetings, so yes. if somebody isn't you know, comfortable meeting in, in person while we still have a bit of Delta variant going around in the community, that's okay, this is a totally safe place safe. to meet mm -hmm. and have this experience of learning how to have better anti-racist relationships. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you very, very much for working so hard for the past eight months to put this together. You and your whole team. I know that it wasn't just the two of you, yeah. um, but uh, those who sign up will have a chance to meet some of the other team members. Uh, so if you want to sign up for this group, we're very excited about it. You can go to uh, OceansideSanctuary.org and just go to the calendar or you can go to the anti-racism page. Either of those places you can RSVP for this group. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys taking the time today. Sure thing. Um, no Greater Love, uh, the learning anti-racist relationships. Uh, beginning September 14th, every Tuesday for six weeks, 6.30 to 8 p.m. Um, a safe. This is going to be a safe online space uh, to identify ways in which white supremacy has shaped false assumptions about Black Americans. Uh, by engaging with videos, slides, music, and written excerpts, you will grow in self-awareness and empathy. And, and empathy to discover how white people have been passive and or indifferent to racial um, in inequities that damage the dignity, safety, and agency of black people. Yes, I did just read the document that I was provided, not 
all of that did not just come from my head. Yeah. <laughs> so make sure to be there. Um, space is limited, so RSVP by September 12th at bit.ly slash no greater love intro. And finally, how to support our mission. Oceanside Sanctuary is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we rely on the gifts and donations of all of you guys. Um, if you'd like to support our mission, consider giving a gift today at our website, oceansidesanctuary.org slash give. Scan the QR code or uh, donate in our donation box if you're um, in person. Um, that's all for you guys. Uh, I hope you guys have an amazing week and see you next week.